0: That last song was so awesome and so true. It's in the intimacy that we have with him that real relationship is built. Let's pray this morning. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We love you desperately. We love you. We invite your Holy Spirit to sit amongst us, to reveal to our hearts what you want to say this morning. We cannot understand what you have for us from an intellectual point of view. It's only with the partnership of your Holy Spirit that we can understand your will even understand what it means to have relationship with you. I thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is here. And I ask that your will be done. I give you my mouth, my hands, my feet. I give you everything that I am. What I ask is that you do with me what you will. Speak through me what you will, not anything of me. And I pray for an insight deeper than we have gone before, perhaps. A recognition of your love and your plan for us that we have not fully understood. We trust you. We love you and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I've shared so many times before that the Lord, oftentimes, he doesn't tell me what we're talking about until I'm up here or sometimes during worship and stuff like that. This morning is a little different. And I thought it was kind of cool because last night he gave me, he took me to so many scriptures. And gave me an idea that I believed I would be speaking on this morning, and and it is. Now, God could change that at any moment, so buckle up. You know how that goes. But I want to encourage you guys to get out something to write with. Take down or go back and listen to the podcast. Take down these scriptures. I want you to search them out. Be as Bereans. Search out what is going to be presented to you. But receive, it says in Acts seventeen eleven, receive with an open heart. That's the key, by the way, to being a Berean. That's the key to knowing Scripture as the Holy Spirit presents it to you. And, but, I, but I wanted to, to just put that out there that we are going to go through a lot of Scripture. I don't even know how many the Lord took me to last night. It's probably ten, maybe. I don't know, but but be ready for that. Before that, um, I just had to tell I have two stories. You want to hear two stories. It's just really cool. Right, one, one is really short. I'll tell you that one first, because there's really, there's really no meaning, no, no benefit to anybody except me, perhaps. Um, but it was a cool story, and, and maybe maybe you'll, you'll uh, uh, enjoy it and, and see the fruit in it. For those of you who don't know, I have this weird joy in my life. It's called mowing the lawn. I love to mow the lawn. That's something that I've always loved to do. My first business I ever built was a lawn mowing business. And it was, honestly, it wasn't even to make money. It's because I enjoyed the lawn more. I don't know why. It's a, it may, maybe it's making it clean again. I, I don't know what it is. But, but I love mowing the lawn. So, so I, I enjoy certainly mowing my own lawn. And maybe, I want to say six weeks ago, I'm mowing my front yard and, and uh, we used to have a service that would come out every year and spray all the weeds and do all the you know junk that they do and they're ridiculously expensive and, and I just couldn't justify doing that anymore for maybe the last four or five years. Well, then weeds come back. Right, and and I'm, I'm mowing the lawn, and I'm making it nice and neat, and everything else. And for those of you who've been to my house, you know you know the landscaping I've, I'm putting in there. But I'm seeing all these weeds, and it's just irritating me, just irritating the heck out of me. And I'm like, Lord, certainly you didn't create weeds; they came after the fall. You said that in Genesis 3. So why do they have to be here now? Why do I have to deal with them now when you have already purchased back them to be gone? And, and I'm kind of I'm saying that to him half-joking, but kind of serious too. It's like, you know, why can't I just command them to leave? And he said, I don't know, why can't you? I thought, okay. Well, you know, the best way to kill a weed is to grow good grass. That's why they'll tell you, if you saturate the place with good grass, the weeds die. They just they can't get any, any nourishment. And so I'm driving around on my zero turn, which is just so cool. I love that thing. I'm driving around with this, and I'm talking to that weed, talking to that weed, talking to all these weeds. And instead of saying, okay, I command these weeds to die, I'm saying... Okay, Lord, you have said your creation is groaning to know the sons of God. Tell your creation that this house is owned by one of your sons and the grass is to grow. And so I declared the grass will grow all over. New grass will sprout up. It will kill the old weeds. And I'm declaring this and I'm kind of driving and... You know, believing it, fully believing it, because I'm having this conversation with the Lord, but kind of half laughing at myself, too, because, you know, this isn't like World War III or anything that I'm praying over. I didn't think any more about it. I'm on the mower yesterday, and I'm going through, and I'm mowing the front lawn, and I am seeing... You you know what a seedling looks like, A, a, a grass seedling? When it comes up, it's real thin, and it looks like almost hair, right? I'm seeing it all over my front yard. And I'm like, wow, God, you took me seriously. That's awesome. That is awesome. I mean all over. Bare patches where it wouldn't grow is now coming up all over the place. I'm thinking, man, you're good, God. You're good. And, And that's such a silly example. But doesn't He love our hearts when we yearn after Him? He loves the things that We enjoy, and for me, it's no weeds. (laughs) Ask my daughters. They hate weeds. They spent a lifetime killing them. Maybe it was a good battle plan. I don't know. That was the first story. The second story is a little more serious, but just as good. And, And it's really an example of where we're at now. Most of you know I have had just difficulty in my sleep. Um, now, a lot of you don't know the details of that, but, but the Lord uses my spirit in, in my sleep um, to teach my spirit how to fight, to fight things that need to be fought. That's gone on for a long time. Sometimes the battle scars of that can be heavy. About three or four weeks ago, I literally wake up with a separated shoulder. Okay, I didn't thrash in bed and, you know, wake Alexa up or anything else. But I had a separated shoulder. Now, those things don't just happen like oops, especially when you've never had that before. Those things just don't happen. I woke up the, in the morning and, Lord, what in the world? And he said it was, it was a battle. Right? My neck has been a chronic problem. It has affected my sleep a lot. And a few weeks ago, I was asking the Lord, you know, I don't want to stop what you're doing in my sleep. If you are teaching my spirit something, if you're using me in any way, do it. But help me to, I didn't use the word cope, but help me to push through. And fight some of this pain. Because I'm, I'm in pain pretty much all the time. But there are times where, like, I'm in real pain. I can't move my neck or anything like that. And, and the Lord said to me, he said, I want you to do something for one hour a week. And he told me what it was. It was completely to shut everything off, which is a big deal to set my phone aside, right? That's a big deal shut everything off, focus. Not focus on just worship and everything, but to literally focus on being in front of him physically. Just that I am there with him in front of his throne physically. And so I did this for the first time yesterday. And it was awesome. One thing I learned is, man, it's really it, it takes effort to focus. It really does. It takes effort to focus. Even if you pick a time where nobody is in the house or nobody's anywhere, it still takes a lot of effort to focus. I learned that. But here I am. I, I'm fully focused, I'm saturated, I'm just thinking about the Lord I have. Uh, I do have worship music on, and I'm just focused on Him, and I'm laying there still as can be, laying on my back, because I cannot lay on my side. I haven't been able to sleep on my left side for, I don't even know, the greater part of the last year, probably. But I'm just laying there on my back, still as anything, and all of a sudden, pop, pop. These two pops in my neck. I thought, what was that? That kind of scary. That was really loud. (laughs) What was that? And I thought, okay, no, I'm focusing. I'm not going to worry about that right now so I just went back to focusing. Last night I slept on my left side. I have not done that in a year. I mean, it, it, I know it's a silly little story, but what when you focus on God, He does everything. Matthew 6.33. There, there's a reason that verse keeps coming back up. It's because if we have the littlest things that we care about, the littlest things, if our focus becomes Him, He cares about the things we care about. Even the little things. And it was huge. Man, I, now it's like an hour a week. <laughs> Lord, how about an hour a day? How about every other hour? I'll just focus on you all the time, and you do everything else. You know, that's what He wants. That's what He wants from us. In this day and age, that is what He requires from us. Not, not just, hey, you know, if you give me your all, then it's going to be good. No, it's a requirement now. In the times in, in which we live, there's no more setting aside other times. There's no more. No more at all. And so where He, he has taken me to last night... I was listening to this, um, somebody sent me a video. It was a, what was that? Who, who's that? Yeah, it doesn't matter. I'd probably get in trouble if I say who it was Anyways, But I was watching this, this podcast, whatever, it, it was a video though. And there was this political figure who is phenomenal. I like him a lot. And he's talking about things going on and everything else and the, and everything that he was saying I was in full agreement with. Um, and, and that that's not the issue of me saying this. The pastor, which I would be in agreement with what he says as well, but he, he said something that bugged me. He said that all these things, and he's laying it out in in prophecy, all these things are really about the coming of the Son of Man. And yes, but you're missing something there. Because he said, it's any moment, it's not long before Jesus Christ comes and we meet him in the clouds and we don't have to worry about this anymore. That is fundamentally incorrect. Fundamentally. That's not what the Bible teaches. No wonder people are complacent now. No wonder the bride is complacent now. Because the bride just can sit back and think, yeah, nothing I can do about this. Nothing I can do about the ridiculousness in the world, let alone my own government. But I love you. And I'm just waiting for you to come and get me. i got my bags packed. While the whole time God is saying, unpack your bags. You're to fight. You're to stand up. You're to stand up for what's right. Keep focused on me. Be encouraged that this is your time. Why doesn't the bride see that? And And, and when I say the bride, I mean probably... 90% of the bride. They're just waiting for him to come back and pull him out of the muck and the mire. When Jesus is just saying, look, I did that 2,000 years ago. You got a part in this. Don't expect for what he paid for to be, that he paid for it to be perfect and we don't have any place in that. We don't have any responsibility in that. We absolutely do. So he took me a a bunch of places last night, and I want to take you to the first one, which is in Daniel chapter 9. Now, we could spend weeks on every single one of these scriptures. Please understand, that's why I'm saying Go, go back and study on your own. Because the point in which we're talking about today is not to pull apart all of this but I'm I'm to show why he wants the bride to wake up and recognize that we have a responsibility. And and what he said to me last night, he said, tell them to be encouraged and don't be afraid. So Daniel chapter 9, we're going to begin at verse 24, go down through 27. This is called the 70 weeks of Daniel, if you've studied it before. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Now, now by the way, here he is, in, in this decree, God is talking about the nation of Israel, okay, specifically. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people, whose people? Daniel's people, and your holy city. What city? Jerusalem. To finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Okay, what he's saying is there are 70 weeks left for Israel's history to be completed. For them to come to a place of sin, to a place of of holiness. It will take 70 weeks. That's what God said. Now, again, we're not going to get into this, but but that is 70 weeks. Consider each week a seven-year period. Because that's what it's talking about. It's 70 sevens, if that makes sense. Okay. Now you look back and say, wait, wait a second. We're way past 490 years, you know, since this was decreed, so, and Israel isn't righteous right now, so what's going on? Well, let's keep reading. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, then for sixty-two, and, and by the way, that—that that is most probably—and and I won't get into this, but that is most probably the the beginning building of the temple when it was being rebuilt. Okay, a prince. There shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat. Which—that's that's your little hint as to why it's talking about the temple with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Before I go on to 26, let me, let me mention what that's talking about. It's not the point of this morning, but it, it, it is really important to understand the absolute accuracy of Scripture. What we have so far is 69 weeks. Okay, we have the seven weeks. And then we have the 62 weeks that we just read, right? Everybody with me on this? Okay. We have 69 weeks. Of those 70 weeks of Daniel, we have 69 that he has just said lead up to a prince that comes. Or, or, or a, what is the word that he used? Anointed one, I think he says. Um, let, me, let me just read verse 26. And after the 62 weeks... This is after the 7 and then 62. An anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. This prince is Jesus Christ. This anointed one is Jesus Christ. Daniel was prophesying, by the way, to the very day. To the very day that Jesus Christ Came into Jerusalem. If you look at the day that it was it was foretold, which by the way, don't don't be confused, because there were there were different kings, different Persian kings that, that prophesied of starting to build the temple. That's not what the prophecy was. The prophecy was when Jerusalem would be rebuilt, and there was only one it was Artaxerxes II. If you take the day that he decreed Jerusalem to be rebuilt and you push forward until the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, you have to the exact day 69 weeks or 69 seven-year periods to the day, to the day. That's the accuracy of God. But then what happens? It says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant. So before we get into 27, now you have this portion. At the end of the 69th week when Jesus Christ walks into Jerusalem, and they're laying the palm branches at his feet, saying, "He is king of kings, He is Lord of Lords." And then less than a week later, they're crucifying him. And then you have devastation come upon Israel, and specifically Jerusalem. Absolute devastation. about, I want to say 38 years later, or 30, 37 years later, you have the temple destroyed in AD 70. And it said there that they would trample upon that nation. But then he goes into the 70th week. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. On the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. Until, until the decreed end is poured out, On the desolator. So you have the 69 weeks. And then you have what seems to be this gap. And then you have the 70th week. Well, it's widely known, the 70th week of Daniel, which is what we just read, that is that seven-year tribulation period. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it breaks it down three ways. It breaks it down into seven years. It breaks it down into months. It breaks it down into days. Even, even the, the what they call the Great Tribulation, which is the half, the latter half of tribulation period, what they call the Great Tribulation, it breaks it down to the very days. Okay. What I want to focus on, though, because that that's all known stuff. That's all stuff that we've we've learned in 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 our Bibles, in seminary, whatever Bible class for years and years, decades, decades. What I want to focus on is that gap. Because clearly there's a gap. There was a gap in there where Israel was to be trampled upon. And it was more than a seven-year period. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21 We're going to begin at verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Okay, and this is what I wanted to get to, verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There's a phrase there that is very interesting. The times of the Gentiles. Because see, thinking back to what, what Daniel was talking about in the 70 weeks that he was given as a prophecy, that prophecy was specific to Israel. That was about their entire existence of sin and when sin would be eradicated in them. So that's why the 70 weeks were given, but there was that gap. That gap is the times of the Gentile. The times of the Gentile because God had a plan for the rest of the world. Do you think that He chose Israel knowing He was going to forsake the rest of His own creation? Of course not. Jesus didn't come... To die on the cross just for Israel. In fact, it was Israel that that rejected him, which is what opened up, Paul said, which opened up the door for Gentiles to be grafted in. Let's go to Romans 11. There's a, a reason why Gentiles, and, and by the way, what is a Gentile? A Gentile is everybody else. You have a Jew or a Gentile. If you're Jewish, Gentiles are everybody else, right? And and so when Jesus came, his own people, his own nation should have known just if for no other reason, by the very prophecy that Daniel put out there centuries before. They should have known that he was the Messiah. Because it was the very day that he came in. In fact, if you understand that fact, you start to understand the reaction of the high priest and the Sadducees and Pharisees. They say, oh, no, 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 no. No, don't worship him. Tell your disciples not to worship you. Because that would mean you're the Messiah. They knew that was the day. They knew that was the day that the Messiah was supposed to come through. And he said, it doesn't matter if I told them not to worship, the very rocks would worship. The very creation would worship because worship would not be stopped. But because of that rejection, it opened up a door for Israel. I mean, I'm sorry, opened up a door for the Gentiles. Opened up a door for us to be grafted into this promise. So, upon that moment, when Jesus walked into Israel, the end of that 69th week, and then Israel turned on him, it became a hardening of their heart. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. There's a contract Jesus made with mankind. That contract was when he came and died for sin. When he died on the cross for sin, he opened up the opportunity for all to have relationship with Him. Not not just salvation, not just golden ticket to heaven, but real relationship, real focus, real conversation back and forth. He died and gave that opportunity then. But because He never takes away our choice, that choice wasn't forced on us. Just like He didn't force Himself on His own chosen people. He didn't go in and say, wait a second, no, 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 you're not supposed to reject me. I am the Messiah and you're not supposed to reject. Wait, I'm not going to the cross. Wait, wait a second, I'll take this by force. He didn't do that because he knew the payment had to be made. The force comes when we stand up in relationship with him. And declaration of believing Him and what He paid for. Man, if you could see what that does in the spirit realm. If you could see what a person who walks boldly in the Holy Spirit and tight in relationship with Jesus Christ. If you could see how the spirit realm sees them. It would would explain so many more things. I've asked the Lord, how am I seen in the spirit realm? When I walk down, do... Because we saw that with Paul, right? When the, when, when the uh, I think it was Sons of Sceva or something like that were trying to cast out and they got the snot beat out of them. They said, well, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. Boom, 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 boom. So Paul was known. I mean, it makes sense. Jesus was known, right? But Paul was known. He was known in the spirit realm. Why? Because he had power within him that was built through relationship with his Savior. Intimacy with his Savior. That partial hardening that we just read a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in is because he will fulfill that covenant that he had with Israel. What does that mean, by the way? What was his covenant? And what was his covenant replaced with? Let me read it. His covenant was the law. His covenant was obedience and I will take care of you. That was his covenant. That is literally what the thousand-year reign will fulfill. But Paul even said, this new covenant came. This new covenant that fulfills, if you will, the old covenant for those who would choose it. You know, the Bible says, if you accept jesus christ as savior you're no you're no longer held under the law we're saved by grace We're, we're not held under the reciprocation of the law doesn't mean there aren't consequences of things we do that's a that's a different story of course we are i'm talking about ticket to heaven i'm talking about going to heaven or hell Right, that was opened for everyone. It wasn't that, okay, here are the Gentiles and we're going to give them a shot and see if they reject me. No, because when he died on the cross, he died for everyone who would believe. What it did, it put on a level playing field those who would be God's children. That will never change. Whether you are Jew, whether you are Gentile, if you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior, you become His child equal to all the others. You have the same opportunity anybody else does. But in terms of Israel as a nation, for the sake of His name, He will follow through with what He promised them From the very beginning. What He promised Abraham. And that will happen. But the time that we're interested in is this time of the Gentile. And and I think it's interesting how it says that through this fullness of the Gentiles, Israel will be saved. You, You ever think about that? Through the fullness of the Gentiles... Israel itself, God's chosen people, will be saved. Let's turn to, just, just go back a little bit and go to verse 11. There's a reason why the Gentiles were grafted in, and I've, I've said this so many times. I think this is one of the main reasons, not that there aren't others, but so many people see the number 1111. 1111 all the time, Whatever. This is one place I equate that to. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? This is talking about Israel rejecting. In Romans, Paul is talking about how Israel rejected the Savior. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. So basically, a nation that was the chosen nation of God turned on their own God. Because of that, it opened a door for most of us. It opened this door of salvation for the rest of the world, literally to make Israel jealous. To bring them to a place of understanding what God wanted to do in them. Okay, so let's think about this logically for a second. If everything was over right now, has that happened? Not even close. What does Israel have to be jealous over the bride for when the bride isn't even unified? I mean, the bride is so displaced, so ripped apart from each other and even from God. Where you have people, real actual people that are saved, that are questioning the very creation that God has done through this transgender junk. Through all this stuff, taking what God has planned and say, well, you know what? We could tweak that a little better. Just so we could be inclusive. So we can have these big churches. Well, guess what? Those big churches are being destroyed. I declare it in Jesus' name. They will come down, and they are coming down. You see it every day. Because there is only one leader. Only one. Only one who makes decisions. Only one. And it's because there's only one that has paid that price. And that's Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. Not not the head of you know some some consult that you know well you know we'll reach out to you whenever we need you but we sure can't wait to be with you in heaven. Oh that's foolish. Where's the cost in that? Where's the cost in that? He paid everything. Do we really think we have to pay nothing? That's foolish. That doesn't even make sense because we have an obligation. Our obligation is to make Israel jealous. And that's exactly what God's going to do. I want you to turn to Revelation 3.9. Most of you probably even know this thing by heart now. This is a a verse in the letter to the church of Philadelphia where God is talking to His, His people. Jesus is talking to His people, these people that that are so sold out to Him, and yet have no power. Have nothing but their heart, their faith, which is power. And he, He's laying out prophecy for them here. In verse 9. Well, let's, let's go back to verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. That open door is to do the prophecy that God has called literally to make Israel jealous. And then he says in verse 9 what that is. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, in other words, those who say they know me, but don't. Behold, here's what I'm going to do. I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Now, that in the Greek there, it's taught, where it says bowing down, that's not a bowing in worship. That is a bowing in honor. It's kind of like saying, Oh, man, I recognize that God loves you. I recognize that you have relationship with him. You're intimate with him. I recognize this. That's what he's saying the world is going to do. Hasn't done that yet, has it? Not even close. Not even close. And in, in fact, just the opposite. The church has been in nothing but attacks. So why would Israel be jealous? There's nothing to be jealous of. Nothing at all. But the church is starting to wake up. And that's why we're in the judgment or the justice. The Lord told me He prefers that word justice. We are in the justice of His heart. Where He is bringing a cleansing to the church. Because it starts in His house first. He's drawn a line, and, and you guys know this. It's been this way for a couple of years now. He's drawing a line and saying, here, choose one side or the other. There's no fence here. Think of that as a pole with a sharp tip. <laughs> if you try to sit on that, you're a skewer. There's one side or the other because there's no more time for the bride to be complacent. There's no more time. And not because the enemy's just becoming overwhelming. Oh man, please, be encouraged. That's not it at all. It's because Jesus Christ is on the move through his remnant. He is bringing about, verse 9, for the sake of his promise to Israel. Now I love the next part, verse 10. We're just going to read more. And, and, and by the way, It says, I will make them bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. In that Greek word there, it denotes time. This is not just an understanding that comes in the twinkling of an eye. Oh, rapture. Oh, I know. Man, they were God's children. No, in fact, what's going to happen then is this permeated lie that will say they weren't God's children. That's a whole different thing. When he says that they will learn who you are, that denotes time. That there is time where we are going to be seen as God's children. Not only by people. Not only by the world, but also creation. That's why creation groans to recognize the sons of God. Right? All of this boils down to and leads up to a moment. And that moment is what that pastor was talking about. Is the rapture. There's a lot that's supposed to happen before then. That that we are literally supposed to step in and have a part in. But there will be that time when Jesus does come and take His children home. But until then... Let's just read verse 10 here before we go to the next one. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I used to, years ago, I used to use this as as a reason why I believe in pre-trib rapture. Okay, I do believe in pre-trib rapture. This isn't the reason, because this doesn't even have anything to do with the rapture. And it took me took me a while to figure that out when the Lord was showing me that, how I've taught for years. No, what He is holding you from, what He is keeping you safe in, are the troubles that are upon us now. Why? Because we have but little power, but we believe. And we're supposed to be these beacons of light that the world will see that God has His hand on. So in doing that, when turmoil comes, which, by the way, God has brought on, don't don't be fooled and think that Satan is doing any of this or controlling any of this. He is not. I mean, his stooges are being used, certainly. But he has no control of this. God is in full control of this. And through this, we have a promise. We have a promise that if we're sold out to him... He brings a protection upon us. That's why we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of some nuclear weapon coming over from Russia, which, by the way, man, if you want to worry, I mean, there are a lot more things to worry about than Russia. In fact, if you want to look at whatever the media, the the great part of the media is pushing the hardest, feel comfortable about not worrying about that. Because it's probably a lie. But we don't have to worry about those things. Even if World War III comes to our doorstep, we're not to worry. Why? Because we're warriors. What kind of army would we be if we were afraid to face the enemy? We wouldn't be an army at all. We certainly wouldn't be an army that recognizes the power of God in our declarations, Moses, through the power of his declaration, he killed the entire army of Egypt. The Lord said, just tell the sea to come in. You know, Do I really need to tell you this? It's kind of obvious. Just say, hey, sea, come on back in. And I did it. You understand that God is building an army who do recognize their power in Jesus Christ, who do recognize their calling in Jesus Christ, and will be protected from what is here. Turn to Revelation chapter 10. This Mystery that we've talked about many times before, this mystery of the Gentiles being grafted in, but it's so much bigger than that. It's the mystery of salvation, the mystery of of saved by grace. It's the mystery of him loving a children and bringing us to a point of everything that he promised Israel for the sake of his love for Israel. Here, it's it's like, God, okay, you you rejected me. I'm not going to retaliate against that because I love you. I love you, and I I fulfill my promises, and I'm going to do everything that I have told you, Israel, that I will do. But now I have these people over here that you hate. The very people you hate, I will use to show you that my love encompasses all. So let me show you. So he is going to do with the Gentiles, or we're going to call it the bride, those who receive him as Savior, the bride. He's going to do with them what he intended and will still do with Israel. And that's why I say it hasn't happened yet. But there comes a point when that is done. When the bride has fulfilled all the things that were promised of Israel and Israel we'll recognize that, we'll see it, we'll literally honor it when that rapture will happen. Uh, Revelation chapter 10, we'll start at verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like a pillar of fire. He had a a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a roaring, like a lion roaring. When I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, oh, sorry, I skipped a line there. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded and when the seven thunders sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Which, which, by the way, is a side note. Anybody who thinks the scriptures are complete, they don't understand scripture, even if just for this piece right here, that there was something said that was not written down. Now, God held that for a different time. I happen to believe that happens to be the time in which we're in now. I don't know what the seven thunders said, but I do believe God is going to show it. And that's not the point of what we're talking about, though. Sorry. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what's in it, the earth and what's in it, and the sea and what's in it, and there would be no more delay. No more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet called by Called to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Understand that in the rapture, it's fulfilled. The rapture is a culmination of the fulfillment of everything God promised Israel that he's going to show through his bride. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And again, this is going to verify and give you scripture to verify when the rapture occurs. At what point does the rapture occur? 1 Corinthians 15, we'll start at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Man, whenever you see that word in the New Testament, get excited. Get excited because God didn't lay all this out. He didn't do it on purpose because He didn't want the enemy to know. These are secret plans. His bride was a secret plan. Behold I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised <clears throat> will be raised to imperishable and we shall change so it's talking about this mystery will come to a culmination in the last trumpet Now turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. And again, this is Paul writing, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, or those who have passed on before, those who who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from our Lord, from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, okay, that rapture, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's the rapture. That is the rapture. But it comes at the end it comes at that seventh trumpet when that seventh trumpet is sounded so let's go to the seventh trumpet revelation chapter 11 and this is kind of what ties it all together so so are you with me so far where it talks about the bride being used and God doing for the bride what he wanted to do with Israel to make Israel jealous. All right? You're with me with that, right? You're with me with the fact that there is a rapture of the bride. You all understand that. You believe that. You understand that. And that that has to come, obviously, when the bride is raptured, the bride's not there anymore. <laughs> so it can't be that I'll rapture my bride and then, oh, wait, sorry, you've got to go back because we haven't done we haven't made Israel jealous yet. You believe that, right? That it's going to come at the end of what God has done to make Israel jealous. Okay, so let's look at the seventh trumpet that those three other scriptures have have referred to this last trumpet. Chapter 11 verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the twelve and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, We give thanks to You, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for You have taken Your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged like they have been. But Your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and the rewarding of Your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear Your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. That's in the spirit realm, guys. The destroyers of the earth are not mankind. They were a tool. But the destroyers of the the earth are those who, who were in charge and literally given charge from the Tower of Babel. But what's it say here? It says the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of this earth, the world in which we live, this place. Okay, I think you could probably assume the distinction between this place and heaven right? We're not, we're not in heaven, right? Yes. Y'all with me? Okay. You understand the distinction. His kingdom is different than this realm, but he just said when the trumpet blasts, it be, it's because the kingdom of the world has become, has become. Now, if this were the end, then you could say, okay, well, that has to do with Israel, because then we go right into the thousand year reign and everything else. and There's still 14 more judgments that will happen after this. There's still 14 more. This isn't the end. Not from the eyes of Israel it's not the end. But it is for the bride. Do you understand the times in which we live? Man alive, get excited because everything that you know and have always known will change and has changed. And how about the things that don't even make sense? I'll tell you what. I'm really expecting to go back in my youth. I really am, and I'm not even joking about that. I really, really am. I used to I used to joke a lot of times when, when I had the just the college students and stuff and it, it was a big deal to me that that there wasn't a single college student who could take me. And and usually and and you know, but now that now that I'm in my late fifties it's like, yeah, maybe that's why God took me out of the college ministry. But why? Why do we have to degrade? That's That's not what God's plan was. God's plan was not entropy. Entropy was was introduced at the fall. Okay? What did Jesus pay for? He paid for that fall to be reversed. That's exactly what He paid for. Now that doesn't mean I believe and I'll become Superman. Superman. Or I believe, and and I'll have this youthful body. Or I believe, and oh man, Jesus is requiring a lot more than your belief. Those days are over. It's a lot more than your belief. It's like James said, you can believe all you want, but if you don't step in that belief, it means nothing. Faith without works is dead. Works is the fact that you have a mouth and you have inside of you the power of the Holy Spirit that wants to work through you all over the world. Man, if the bride will just wake up, recognize her place, recognize what actually has been paid for, and start to step in it. Guess what's going to happen? new grass is going to grow. It is believe it believe it because your faith is your currency that's the only currency God accepts is your faith oh but when we come together in unity with faith who no wonder satan's afraid and, and exactly And he is afraid. I've shared, I know many people have known this. The Lord has taken me physically before his throne. But there's another place the Lord took me physically, and it was in front of Satan. I saw Satan like I'm not going to say anybody's name (laughs) because that would be a little weird. I saw Satan just like I'm looking at this chair right here. I could reach out and touch him. And he saw me. And when he did, he jumped back 15 feet into the corner and cowered. Because of me? No. No, because I said yes. And the Holy Spirit in me scared the snot out of him. Satan's scared, guys. He thought this was his time. That's why God kept it a mystery. That's why he kept it a mystery. He, not that he wants to keep it from us. He wants to keep it from the enemy. He wants us just to believe by faith. When we believe, we give this currency. And it's making change. How else? How else? Oh my goodness. I could, I could sit up here and tell you story after story after story of what God does. Where Michael and I are told to go to Nigeria and we have 33 cents in our account, $0.33. Cents. I mean, we had our tickets, but, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> Expenses are going to be just a tad more than $0.33. Cents. By the time we landed 24 hours later, we had 20000 in our account. That's God. That's God. That's God. That's not fundraising capability. Who cares about that? Man, I'll take any day. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this so you can pour your faith into it. You know, Wendy is a special friend of mine because God talks to her and says unique things to her. Of course, it irritates me that she doesn't tell me right away. God told her, I don't know, what was it, a couple months ago, that we're going to get a check for 100000 Sure enough, a few weeks later, got a check for 100000 Not from somebody we know. In fact, I'm convinced it's an angel. Maybe an angel has an account out there or something, but th- this person was down south, and it was just, hey, the Lord just told me send this to you. Okay, awesome. Well, here's what I want you to pour the faith into. The Lord tells her, what, last week or two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Tells her, she, she sees this picture of a $100,000 check, and she said, Lord, are we going to get another one? And he goes, well, how about five? She said, $500,000? And then the Lord left, left her hanging. But yeah, I believe that. I went before the Lord, and I said, Lord, I believe it. Not because I want it, because honestly, I care less. I care less if we get it or not except that he's the one who spends it. He's the one who uses it. You know, if he tells me to go build a multi-purpose center that takes almost $300,000, okay, hey, I'll go build it. He's the one who provides. He's the one with the checkbook. We pour our faith. That is our currency. We pour our faith into that. Why? Because his kingdom, I'm going to read it this way, Before the seventh trumpet is done, or is sounded, the kingdom of this world must become the kingdom of our God. You want to get to heaven without dying? Work on His kingdom. Work on His kingdom being here. Jesus already paid for it. It's kind of like He put it on layaway and nobody's picked it up. Oh man, what, what, a, what a treasure. The church needs to pick it up. Don't be afraid of this government. First of all, this government isn't even supposed to be there. Biden isn't even supposed to be there. None of these people are even supposed to be there. They have no right to it. And right is not, when something has been soiled, it doesn't mean that you have a right to it anymore. Even our Constitution, that has been dragged through the mud, negates them. By by the way, sorry, I'm going to say this. Probably get me in trouble. Our generals. I, I won't even say it about our politicians because there are some good ones, by the way. Just, they're in the minority. But generals and all those in the military, they have an obligation. They have an obligation, whether they're saved or not, doesn't matter. They took an oath to our Constitution. They have an obligation to stand against this administration, against what this administration has done, taking authorities outside of the Constitution, do you know each one of them took an oath that said, I will uphold from foreign and domestic enemies of this state. If the church doesn't stand up, why would, he, why would we expect them to? So I, I appeal... I appeal to the bride to stand up and be excited because of what God is doing. He's already placed the power there. He's already, he's already placed it. His power will be shown. Now, his power is going to fall in a way that we've never seen before. That's, that's a little bit different subject. I'm talking about what he has opened up that he's already paid for. It's yours. You have an inheritance. Not just in heaven. You have an inheritance here. Do you understand that? You have an in- how many of you, if you knew you had an inheritance here of this insane amount of money or whatever, how many of you would not pursue that? Of course you would. Everybody would. So what about our inheritance that God has said we have now? You know why we don't pursue it? It's because we don't think it's for now. We think, well, you know, I have but little power, and that must be for heaven. I'm going to get that in heaven. When God this whole time is saying, (laughs) wait a second, I paid for it already. I need you to understand that I want to do it through you because I've got to make Israel jealous. So you know what? Let's make them jealous. Let's make them jealous. And and by the way, Jews that have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, Messianic Jews, you get to make them jealous too because you're part of this family. doesn't mean you're not a Jew, but it means you're part of the family of God. So let's make them jealous. Let's bring His kingdom here. And that's what he wants.
1: Alex, come on up. I first have to say to the ladies, um, <laughs> this is one of those days where Holy Spirit must really want us to get this message because uh, I had no idea what Greg was going to preach on And Didn't we just talk about this? God is so, so good. And when he wants to drive something home, he will often give it to both hours, which is amazing. Um, I only want to say before we close, first of all, just a resounding amen. This is the process the Lord has had me in as well. And it does drive home some of the most basic verses. You know, when Greg was saying about just the smallest things, the little things, they're really not little because it's, it's the sum total of the little things that really make the big things and, and allow you to get through life. But when you look at some of the scriptures that many people have known their entire lives, like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is a verse that we may have known forever. It's on mugs, little bumper stickers and cards and posters and plaques. And yet, how often is that not a regular part of our life at all? As soon as we experience an I can't, we give agreement to it and we just live it. Well, I can't because of. I I can't because of my husband. I can't because of my wife. I can't because of how I'm feeling today. I can't because of my back. I can't because rather than going to God and saying, God, I'm experiencing this. What do you want me to do? Because he will sometimes have us rest, sometimes have us stay, sometimes have us sit instead of stand. But if we don't seek first the kingdom, if we only react to our experiences, We will be the sum total of our experiences. And boy, if that's not a recipe for Satan to win. Every time something hits us, financially, spiritually, physically, emotionally, he will get us every time. If he can get us to agree with what he sends our way, we are a defeated people. That's what the fiery darts are. But then conversely, that's what the armor of God is for, that That things, and I was saying this in the prayer call last night, there was just throughout the day yesterday at Lydia's Closet, there were waves of discouragement trying to hit me. And God, in his grace, I I could feel my shield of faith making me impervious to those attempts. They were just bouncing off and just bouncing off. I wasn't seeing what you might think you would expect in that day. But I, I thought, something huge is going on here. I know it. I believe it by faith. I know it. And so, no, it's not just a not today, Satan. It's not ever, Satan. But I'll take it today. Y- you, won't, you won't get my agreement with whatever you're sending my way. And, you know, if faith itself, you know, even the world believes in just faith itself. There's a lot of faith in faith, it, which is why you see so many Olympians go through their trials and make it to gold medals. You see, you see, disabled people that, that get into um, different uh, areas of of a massive accomplishments just by sheer force of their faith. But yet, believers, we know that real faith is where our what our faith is in and who our faith is in, and to be filled with faith in the person of Jesus Christ in relationship. I mean, there's just nothing that matches that. Yes, sheer will and strong faith in general can move to a certain degree, but faith in Jesus Christ, who is our strength and our joy and everything else we need. That's what's so amazing. And yes, it's easier said than done, but boy, take it one single step at a time. And then notice that every step becomes the next level, like the staircase here. When you accept By faith, where he has you on that step, there's just the next step, just you're higher. Before you know you're at the top of the staircase, and you're going to look back and go, how in the world am I at the top of this staircase? And sometimes it's even a wow, because it's, depending on what you're dealing with physically, I don't know how I have even made it through some of the travel back and forth, and how it has beat my body up. I, I don't even know how God carried me through some of the things that have happened on the trips. Some of the things that happened at the refugee camps in the midst of, of bugs and uh, demon-possessed people and heat, and you, you name it everything coming against, and God somehow miraculously sustained us. Oh, last minute, we were going to be in an all night prayer vigil. My body hadn 't even reacted from the jet lag, and now we 're going to start a prayer vigil we 're going to start it at ten p m That is when I go to sleep. Let me just tell you what I have my tables I used to be a late night person, no more. Started it and it didn't end till six in the morning. I said, Lord. And then he was like, don't say it. Don't say it. Because I was like, Lord, you know I can't. No, don't say it. Is Philippians 4.13 true? I can do all things through Christ Jesus? Wendy said very profoundly in class, as long as you know that it's what God is telling you to do, there is absolutely nothing that can keep you. Bash those doors down. If it is what God wants, Then that is all that is needed. Everything else he will do. Because a few verses further down in Philippians 4 is verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He did not send us those checks because he wanted us to just have money. He sent us those checks because he first told us, go to a foreign land, build buildings, and start a work. Oh, and by the way, it's going to take probably about 200 million U.S. dollars to do that. What do you do in that? You just say, well, Lord, if this is you, and you get get confirmation and you seek his face, if this is you, then it's your money anyway, isn't it? So I'll obey. We'll build. And then he'll supply. And he has done it time and time again. It just does not make any sense. But that's where, and I know I said this recently, that's where... The wonder of God comes into your world because it's a, I wonder how that happened. I just wonder. God says, Yeah, that's me. I'm a wonder. And it's beautiful. So know who you are in Christ. It's only the beginning. And I don't care what age you are. Man alive, I, I even tell this to my mother, who uh, is almost 90. I said, This is just the beginning. Whatever you believe God for, there are still Sarahs out there. You want to start a family? <laughs> she's only got like a hundred grandchildren, um, but uh, <laughs> she's, she's her quiver is pretty full. But trust God for whatever. Never be in agreement with whatever the enemy is trying to say. Your time is past. Your prime is past. This time is over. No, it is just the beginning because I can do all things through Christ. Let's pray, Father God. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for How much you lay out for us to see right before us in your Holy Spirit breathed inspired word Who we are in you Lord Jesus what you paid for That we would walk in in total victory in power and in authority Because of our love and the relationship that we have with you because you first loved us and paid that price Oh, God, how can we not give you everything when it's already yours? God, let us not hold anything back for ourselves. And wow, that is a heavy, heavy statement, God. I know you, you showed that to me even this morning in my worship time. The line, take the world, but give me Jesus. At the end of that Red Rock song called, I will trust. And wow, the gravity of that. To actually mean the words, take the world. But God, as you have us here, you are saying, live in my kingdom. I will add everything. Thank you for Matthew chapter 6. God, help us to soak in all of it. All of the verses before verse 33. That says, take no thought for your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll put on. I know that you have need of all these things. If I lavishly clothe the birds, how will I not provide everything? God, thank you for that. Oh, God, we just need reminders sometimes. And you're so gracious. You're so merciful to just gently remind us while loving us at the same time so so tenderly that you've got us. You've got it. You are there. You will carry us through. If we'll just agree with you, And not fight you like the person drowning that is in a major panic attack and literally fights off the lifeguard trying to save them. And sometimes they have to get knocked out just to be saved in that water. Oh, God, do what it takes. Lord, if there is anything that we are bucking you on, in your love, God, you are our rescue. So do what it takes in your people, in your remnant to bring us into a closer relationship with you and bring us into a place where we get to see. Oh, the glorious thing you have planned for us. And. Just what we can enjoy more of you yourself, because you really are the prize. I just thank you, God, I worship you. And Lord, more than my words, I want to worship you with my very life. I want to worship you in my decisions, in my reactions, in how I love others. I want my life to be a worship vessel to you, God. Because it's so much more than just our words. It's so much more than just a feel-good thought at church once or twice a week. It's every moment of every day. It is how we live. It is saying, no, I'm not going to hold these selfish moments to me anymore. I'm just going to lay at your feet. Because the opening of my hand to release what I'm trying to hold on to, it opens my hand to receive what you want to give me back. So God, let us see that. Show us that picture. We just love you, Lord. Take this word and bring it so deeply within us that it just transforms our very paradigms, our very ways of thought and living. God, because your word is life and truth. I just pray all these things over each of us and everyone that will listen to this message today in Jesus mighty name. Amen.